Good morning, my beautiful people. 99 Jazz Miami's number one for hip-hop and R&B. It's your girl, Super Cindy. Happy Sunday to all of you. I hope you're feeling so, so good. Welcome to Community Matters. It's early, but y'all getting ready to go to church, driving home from work, whatever you got going on. We appreciate you so much for listening. This morning, we are doing amazing things. You know, it's the month of February, Black History Month. But Black History Month is every day of the year, period. I said so. But this morning, we are speaking to someone who represents an amazing, amazing venue. Is it a venue? I'm going to ask her in a minute. But we are talking to Miss Tamika Bradley Hobbs. She PhD doctor. I should be saying Dr. Tamika Bradley Hobbs. And she is the Library Regional Manager of the African American Research Library and Cultural Center in Fort Lauderdale. Shouts to all the Broward County libraries and shouts to this library because I recently visited it a few months ago for the um, for the uh, Afro Pride. Yeah, Afro Pride Festival that I hosted. And I walked into that library and I'm like, yo, I need to get the word out. I came back that Monday speaking about the library. What an amazing place. Good morning. Good morning, Dr. Hobbs. How are you? I am wonderful, Super Cindy. Great to be here. Be here with you. Yes. So let's talk about what is the African American Research Library and Cultural Center before we get into breaking down, you know, um, <laughs> Black History Month. Well, as you said, it is a majestic, fantastic institution. It is uh, 21 years old. It is one of two flagship institutions for Broward County Libraries. And at the time that it was constructed in 2002, it was only one of three such institutions in our country. The first being the Schomburg Center for Research on Black Culture and mm -hmm. the other being the Auburn Avenue Research Library in, in um, Atlanta. And so for folks here in this region, it is an absolute gem. It is, as you said, a beautiful building, 60,000 square feet. Yes. We have a museum-style uh, gallery. We have a 300-seat auditorium and meeting rooms on the first floor, which comprise our cultural center. But the real jewels are upstairs. We have a circulating library with adult services, youth services, and an archive that holds over a million items uh, that includes everything from African art to paintings to manuscripts to rare books. Uh, you name it. It is our work to preserve the history and culture of people, uh, African-descended people, especially in this region. That's what I was going to ask you. Are the, are the archives that you have there, are they from people that represent Fort Lauderdale? Because that's where the library is located, right? In Fort Lauderdale? Yep, we're in Fort Lauderdale on historic Sistrunk Boulevard, right at the corner of Sistrunk and 27th Avenue. And yes, it is. While we're in Fort Lauderdale, we do collect the stories of people in this community and Broward mm -hmm. County more largely. But um, we have stories and, and collections from people that also had national impact. Um, one example I can give you, um, one of my favorite collections is that of Dr. Niara Sadarkasa. Not many people know her name, but mm -hmm. she uh, is a native of Flor Fort Lauderdale. She left Fort Lauderdale at the age of 14 to go off to college. So she was this child genius. Wow, 14 and going to college. Right. Um, so Fisk apparently had a uh, one of our HBCUs had an early admissions program. And so she started there. She ultimately finished at Oberlin, but she went on to become a cultural anthropology. Wait, what year is all this happening? Like when was this? Like um, the 70s, 80s, 90s? Like this was when? in the 1960s, 50s and 60s. Whoa, right. she was doing that in the 60s? Yes. Yes, wow. and so she um, ends up getting her PhD. She's mm -hmm. a cultural anthropologist. Uh, her research focuses on women in Nigeria. 
She worked at New York University, Columbia mm-hmm. University. Um, she worked for a long time at the University of Michigan. Um, but she ultimately became the president of one of our HBCUs. She was the president of Lincoln University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she came back to Fort Lauderdale in her retirement years, and she became the first scholar in residence that we had at Arlick, as we call it. Mm-hmm. And um, she passed away a few years ago, and her collection is one of the largest that we have. It's 403 boxes. Uh, of uh, that really document her research, her career in higher ed, her advocacy in the 1970s. We have 2,000 volumes of books that were in her library. Uh, it's just really a phenomenal collection and a phenomenal story when you think about black women's leadership and scholarship and uh, higher education. And so she's just one of the stories that I want to bring forward. What an amazing, I, I never heard her name and I'm glad you schooled us, schooled me. When it comes to the archives, are we allowed to visit the library, go in there and are we allowed to touch things or do we have to put on white gloves like I see on TV when they're researching things on finding your roots and things like that like how does it work sure absolutely people can come um, we do right now I request that people make appointments to come in mm. but what you'll find when you come in is that you're going to be asked to put your bags away put your pens away put you know no drinks or food allowed and you would come into our reading room for special collections and you would sit down and you would let our archivist know what you want to see and she would go back into the vault which is secured and climate controlled and she'd bring to you the items that oh, you would want so to she's see getting you ain't rummaging mm-hmm. through the archives people no <laughs> now you come you do super you come i'm gonna give you the behind the scenes we're gonna walk through and let you let I'm you do your mask gloves and boots i don't want to touch nothing i just want to look at everything and then i want to like let that person guide me and it does depend on the age of the object you may be asked to wear gloves because we do have just oils on our hands yes, that, that and, we don't even know about right and the goal is to protect and make sure that these items are around as long as possible Recently, I've been exploring the collection, one of the book collections we have, and it's of Dorothy Porter Wesley. Mm-hmm. Not many people, again, know her name, but she was a very famous black bibliophile or people person who loved books. And mm-hmm. she created all of these bibliographies. She's really responsible for creating the Moreland Springard Research Library at Howard University, mm-hmm. um, which is incredibly important when it comes to research on black life and culture. But we are one of two locations that have a portion of her book collection. And in that collection, you can find first edition signed, autographed uh, books uh, from the Harlem Renaissance. So we have books that are over a century years year old. People love of the Harlem Renaissance. We're talking a lot about it this Black History Month because of the theme of African American in the arts. But to go into our vault and to be able to put your hands on a book that was printed in 1923, wow. 1925, the book survived. God bless you, book. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. For like the pages of moth not to come and eat it up. Like it was preserved and taken care of and now it's in the library. Well, and that's the thing that people, I, I wish more people understood and that is, uh, and I like to say this, history is not everything that happened. History is what we preserved. So if you don't have a place like Arlick that is keeping the books cool and making sure that they're not sweltering in the South Florida mm-hmm. heat, that's keeping them away from the humidity that's coming down here, that they're not stored. Um, if they're not stored in this type of environment, we lose it to history, to flood, to hurricane. Um, to, you know, your children coming along and not appreciating the value and tossing it in the dumpster. 
And so I think for all of us, especially in these times when there's so many challenges to the teaching of what I like to call unadulterated black history, Mm -hmm. we have to be really intentional about preserving the history, about telling the stories and about celebrating ourselves. Um, Because I know from my own journey and walk and, and for so many of us, understanding who our people are. Uh, and not being defined by other groups who have ulterior motives, Mm. that is really the core of your identity formation. It helps you to understand what you can aspire to be. And uh, it's way too important to leave to accident or to leave to the forces of other people who really don't ultimately mean you well. Intentions are not good. And why let somebody else tell you who you and your culture and your people are? We should be learning from each other ourselves. You know what I mean? And I just the last the last time I went to the library, just I saw a lot of kids there. And that was so good. I don't know exactly besides the Afro Pride event that was happening on the outside of it in the park. But then when I went, I was like the library and I went in and I was walking around. I was like, OMG, like it was beautiful. But I saw a lot of kids in there, too. Like you guys on weekends, the the festival, I think, was on a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. That was was a Saturday. Oh, it was a Saturday Saturday that day. You guys, we're going to talk about Black History Month, but on a regular Saturday, what goes on there that there was like a bunch of kids in there that I saw? Was it an exhibit, a field trip or something? Um, There's no telling. There's always something going on in our building. It was beautiful, though. Um, At at that time, we did have an exhibition up. It was called Mm -hmm. Afro Fantastic, Mm -hmm. which was a look at um, kind of Afrofuturism and which has gotten a lot of hype. And so we had people come through for tours of that. We have kids who come in to go up to our book collections. We have a a tremendous collection of diverse books that show protagonists of color. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it's really important. As a mother of two myself, I always was driven to make sure that my boys had positive images of themselves in their children's books. And so we have parents that come through and bring the kids. We have kids from the neighborhood who just walk over. We have homework help. We have STEM programs. We have programs of of all manner and shape. Um, One of the ones that I'm most important uh, and proud of is our Saturday School Series. Uh, After the news came down that uh, this uh, Florida Department of Education was, was remixing and deleting. Yeah. I mean, right, like mm-hmm. banning, like they would, they, mm-hmm. they disavowed the uh, AP African American Studies courses. And then they came forward with a K 12 curriculum that, you know, had some positive pieces, but also some incredibly problematic elements, like and um, encoding into the classroom and the curriculum that there were benefits to slavery, um, making sure that there was this uh, supposed balanced view of 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 lynching and and racial pogroms that have taken place uh, in this state. And so I I knew that we had the ability to be a place, a location to offer an alternative. And I partnered with the Black History Project out of Orlando, young sister, shout out to Kristen Fawali. And she has a model that she's bringing these classes throughout the state. She hires a teacher, she trains them on a curriculum, And um, what we've been able to do since October is offer monthly black history classes for free for teens. And we've had such a great response that we're getting ready to launch another teen cohort and also launch a cohort for adults. I love the fact that you just said teens. Like we should really start early, but teens 
shouldn't be forgotten because that's such a transitional stage of them going from childhood to adulthood. And if they don't know themselves, they're going to fall for any okie doke and misinformation and not believe that they're beautiful royalty. You know what I mean? We have to know our history to know where we came from. And especially teenagers like that are so influenced by the slightest thing, social media, whatever. And to teach them, like, what was their response? I would love to see that. You know what? It's interesting because sometimes I'm there on the Saturdays and the uh, the kids come in and you could tell that their their parent has dragged them them. They're not with it. Um, But by the end. Oh, by the end. We have Mm. incredible, incredible instructors and their passion and the authoritativeness of the material that they are presenting mm-hmm. just overwhelms the kids. And you find them just waking up. You can see it in their eyes. Their eyes mm-hmm. get bright. And one of the other really special parts of what we do is that very often the parents stay. Um, the parents sometimes are half of the audience. And it's their reactions to the information, the things that they did not know, that, that the things wasn't that taught. they're coming to mm-hmm. appreciate. And that's the other motivation. Watching that and watching the reaction of those parents was like, you know, hey, there's something here. People were already requesting um, this, but we decided to just go ahead and jump in because how many of us, like myself, got bad black history in your K-12 experience or yeah. got no black history at all? And it's our responsibility to lead these young people, but how can we do that if we don't have information ourselves? And so it's been just a really, really beautiful journey. But that's what we're all about is offering, you know, it's not a university, it's not a classroom, but we get to create ways for people to engage with history and culture that are fun, that are enlightening, um, that are Interactive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I know that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was such an important part of our history, but that's like the main thing that they always highlight and show. No disrespect to Dr. King. But there's so many people like who you mm-hmm. talked about this morning right now. Like there's so many people in our history that we don't know about the greatness, the inventors, the just engineers, the doctors. And we're not taught about them so we just think that it doesn't exist and it's not real and no slight to dr king or of course not or anyone else but what that also does in the presentation is that it makes people feel like if they can't be an orator like dr king or they can't write like him or if they can't preach like live up to his they're not bold Mm -hmm. and willing to be out in front of the crowd that they don't have anything to offer but the reality is it took all types of people and that's what i love about when you dig into black history is that there are all of these different characters everybody has a role to play everybody has a light everybody has a talent Mm -hmm. and you get to see the diversity of the ways that people have brought that forward the example of dr sadarkasa you know i'm a nerd i'm a lifelong library person (laughs) And, you know, uh, always was in the books. Um, When I think about what her example would have meant to me as a young teen, um, you know, maybe feeling a little social pressure, feeling ostracized, to see and learn about the legacy of people who have been brilliant um, from very a very young age and to see what their path looks like would have been incredibly inspiring. And so when I talk about Dr. Sadarkasa and and talks with her family right now about how we can continue to steward and uplift her legacy, there are many different tangents, but one of the ones that excites me the most is being able to have young people learn from her, see those pictures of her as a teenager going off to Fisk University and imagining for themselves, you know, even though it may be lonely or you may feel isolated, 
uh, are maybe not celebrated in the same way that we support and celebrate our athletes or uh, people who are rappers or entertainers, that there is a path for you, that your gifts matter, and that that also deserves to be celebrated. Oh, man. that That is like... And, and so... You just said now that you're in talks with her family, like, oh, man, you're, you're like right there in the midst of everything. So you're seeing everything in front of your eyes. And so hopefully it's going to be an exhibit or some type of something at the library. It's- I would love that. I think that there's a, as we continue to process her collection and mm-hmm. be able to interpret her story, that that's the other part of what is in our building with that museum gallery is to be able to interpret this history because, uh, you know, not everybody's going to go upstairs. I know you want to come take the field trip and we'd yeah, love to have definitely. you. Definitely. Um, not everybody's going to come upstairs. Not everybody's going to read the book or the article. Mm-hmm. And so um, my training as a public historian is very much about making history accessible. And we do that through exhibitions. We do that through documentaries and films. We do that through, you know, hour-long conversations. Uh, and so that's what I love about Arlick is that mm-hmm. we are very intentional about making sure that the public can have an experience with this information. And so in talking to uh, Michael Sadarkasa, Dr. Sadarkasa's son, and mm-hmm. her granddaughter, who's actually studying, or working on her PhD in history right now mm-hmm. at the institution her grandmother worked for, um, it just really talking to them about the ways that we can celebrate her legacy. Because uh, it's not just keeping the stuff. It's how you tell the story. And yeah. How do you make all of the connections? Um, how do you bring scholars in who will write and you know create the articles and the books that tell the story? Who's going to be the curator that comes in and, and does the uh, exhibition on Dr. Sadarkasa? But we want to connect all of those dots. And when I talk about stewardship, that's that's really what we do. And, and we do it at a high level at Arlick, but I think everyone has the ability to start thinking about their legacy and their impact. Not mm-hmm. only what you do every day accumulates, and you have to think about the things that you're going to leave behind that tell the story. Yeah. Who's going to tell the story of Super Cindy and this tremendous career? You are, <laughs> doctor. <laughs> well, we want to I'm stop. hiring you right on right on the spot on 99 Jazz Community Matters. I'm hiring you. No. <laughs> Wait, we're going to create the Super Cindy archival collection at Arlick. I love the sound of that. Too. Oh, that would to... be amazing. Yeah. So let's break down the library right now for Black History Month. It's 2024. And again, when she's saying Arlick, we're talking about the African-American Research Library and Cultural Center in Fort Lauderdale and Sistrunk. So let's talk about the things like highlight the things because there's a lot going on for Black History Month at the library. And most things are free or all things are free at the library. Like, how does it work? Most, most of most them, Most all right? things are free that we sponsor. Yeah. Um, we really work to make sure that that's the case. Uh, last December, we had a fantastic Soulful Christmas celebration mm-hmm. that included a musical on stage, um, both the one Saturday night and a, and a Saturday, uh, Friday night and a Saturday afternoon. We were able to make that free and open to the public. We had a record-breaking crowd of kids coming through. It was, mm-hmm. it was one of my favorite memories from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming up for uh, Black History Month, we kicked it off on Saturday. We had a blockbuster event mm-hmm. with the screening of a documentary called Crossing the Waters. Uh, it was produced mm-hmm. by Dr. Michelle Dallas, mm-hmm. and it deals with the Bahamian legacy here mm-hmm. in South Florida, right? And Which is huge. It's huge. They hear us on 99 Jams in the Bahamas. Oh, great, Yeah, they can hear us. Shouts to the Bahamas. Yeah, so, I mean, we hear that story about the founding of Miami Mm -hmm. and the Bahamians who were here who helped charter the city, but more broadly understanding the labor and the economic impact
impact and the community impact of these Bahamian families. Well, that was what was brought forth by Dr. Dallas. And when I tell you we had a record-breaking crowd, I'd never seen that many people wow. uh, come in for an event. It was almost 400 people who came. Wow. We had the uh, former prime minister of the Bahamas wow. who was there, Mr. Uh, Perry Christie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also had the current council general who was there. And so a number of dignitaries were there to come and see this film and to celebrate it. Everybody was so proud. Um, people were so proud of their Bahamian roots. We had yes, a Jokanu right. band. Okay. And, um, so that's the thing, the work that just is really exciting. So we got Black History Month off to a really wonderful start. Um, next up, we're looking forward to the unveiling of our next exhibition. It's mm-hmm. called Symbols of Spirit. Okay. And it's going to give us an opportunity to take some of those items out of our archives, our African mass collection, and mm. put them on display. And this is really important um, because one of the big things when we talk about in the K-12 education system is that very often, and even in this latest curriculum, that's been one of the the criticisms, is that the experience that they teach about starts in slavery. And you know, I know that black people were more than that. We have yeah. this entire civil, civilization. That's where our life starts. Or they try to make it. Right. <laughs> like there there was so, so much history, so many different civilizations on the African continent. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to put forward this maths collection to help educate people about the religious systems and traditions um, and societal organization that existed in pre-colonial Africa. And so really excited about that. We're going to schedule to have our exhibition opening on Monday, February the 26th, so mm-hmm. people can stay tuned for that. Um, also, in a similar theme, we have a regular series called our Cultural Conversations. We do these usually four times every year. And coming up on February the 29th, we have Tim Spofford, uh, who's written a book called What the Children Told Us. And in the mm-hmm. context of everything that we've been talking about, about yeah. children's education, it's really significant because in this book, Mr. Spofford is telling the story of Drs. Kenny, Kenny, Kenneth and Mamie Clark. Um, you may not know those names, but you certainly know about the famous doll test. Mm-hmm. This is a test that was done on children uh, in the 1950s leading Which up to Which one the, would they grab, a black doll or a yep, white doll? That's the one. That's hmm. the one. And um, and the ultimate result, we know that doll test because of the Brown versus Board of Education decision yeah. in 1954, which ultimately desegregated schools. But I don't know that many people appreciate the way that that happened. When it came to the justices on the United States Supreme Court, it was the evidence of those doll tests, the results of those doll tests that the Clarks conducted that really convinced the justices on the court that this was a really major major problem that needed to be rectified. And so if it had not have been for the Clarks and these doll tests, we would not have had the desegregation of schools. Whoa. And so it's really important because, the you know, all of this is, again— looking at the damage that racism does to the minds of kids. And we're still fighting those battles today when we talk about the need for diverse literature, when we talk about the need for black studies for kids. Uh, it's not something that's tangential. It is absolutely core to the formation and of their identity, their understanding of their place in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we hear from Mr. Spofford, we're going to get a reminder of that from uh, nearly uh, over a century, uh, over uh, 50 years ago. And so really excited to have him come in. So that's just a bit of what we got going on. I'm also really excited about what came out. Recently, um, mm-hmm. our, our partnership with Legacy Magazine. Shouts to Legacy. Yeah, Dexter Bridgman, um, Dr. Mm-hmm. Yanella Gordon. We, uh, She was the editor. Um, mm-hmm. True story, we were freshmen together at mm-hmm. the Florida 
uh, Agriculture and Mechanical University, AMU, way back. Shouts um, to DJ Nasty, the illustrious. I hear it every morning. <laughs> let them know. Gotta let them know. But uh, we worked together mm-hmm. and uh, has recently published the, A Parent's Guide to Black History in Broward County. And um, we started the Saturday School Series and we knew the classes were important, but I, I knew that there was more that needed to be shared, to, specifically mm-hmm. for parents, because so much of the conversation is about uh, other parents and their concerns for their children. Mm -hmm. For me, I was concerned that there was not enough conversation about what our children need. And so to have this parent's guide to provide some perspective on the importance, psychological importance. How to talk to them about things, Mm -hmm. where to find exhibits and everything, writers in here as Mm -hmm. well. This this isn't, how can they get legacy? Um, Dexter, how can they get the legacy? (laughs) Because I think even if it's in Broward County, Kid, um, Dade County parents need to see this. West Palm Beach parents need to see this as well. Absolutely. So legacy is everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So the insert was in the uh, latest edition of the Sun Sentinel, so people can pick it up there. Oh, awesome. Wherever you usually pick up Legacy Magazine and Legacy um, online, um, you can go online and be able to find a digital copy of this as well. But it's a gift from us to the community. We hope mm-hmm. it is a start of a conversation. Um, would love to see this replicated, as you mentioned, in some of the other counties. There's so much black history and there's so many organizations and institutions that have been working for decades to preserve this history, just like Arlick. And we want to take this opportunity to shine a light, not just for the institutions, but for our whole community, that we have the resources here to help you to educate your children and educate yourselves. I mean, get your kids, get your teenagers, head over to the African-American Research Library and Cultural Center. Again, what is the address, doctor? We are at 2650 Sistrunk Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. There's parking. There's a park right there. Lots of parking. No worries. It's free. Mm -hmm. You can walk in. What are the hours of the library? Um, We open Monday through Saturday at 10 Mm -hmm. a.m. Most days we close at 6, but on Monday and Wednesday we're open until 8 p.m. The only day that we're closed is on Sunday. Sundays they're closed. Uh, we've been speaking to Dr. Tamika Bradley Hobbs. Um, she's the library regional manager of the African American Research Library and Cultural Center on Sistrunk in Broward County. If you have not visited the library, please do. Take your nieces, nephews, your foster kids, everybody. Just take everybody to go see this library. It is beautiful. And Doctor, I just want to thank you for stopping by and we appreciate you and happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Always mm-hmm. a pleasure to be with you, Super Cindy. Same here. Your girl, Super Cindy, Community Matters, 99 Jams.